0: Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Shula Bowl Podcast. This is David Hondo here and I am recording this after Eric already recorded the episode so that will be coming after. I just wanted to jump in real quick because I wasn't able to, to record as I am across the pond and the time zones just couldn't match up. Um, so I just wanted to jump in real quick, give a few thoughts on that opening game for FIU and then throw it back to Eric who's got some... Really cool guests on today, and I'll, I'll let him introduce them. Um, and, well, I'll give a tease to one of them. It's a return of of one of the original Bull uh, Pod members. Um, so looking forward to that. But just want to give my quick thoughts. Um, obviously, I was expecting a big win for FIU. I was expecting us to blow them out. I've said it multiple times in this podcast. It's Brian, it's Bryant, it's Bryant. But they came out and kind of smacked us in the face that first half. And kind of for the entire game, we were kind of on our heels, and I think teams in the past might have even given up at this point of how much we were down, but I really liked how this team battled back. I liked the grit that they showed, The the Coach McIntyre, <laughs> lack of better words, the balls that he showed in this game. I mean, to go for it for two in overtime is, pretty, is very ballsy, um, and not only that, he went for it a few times on fourth down. I mean... Obviously, at the end, we had to be, but even throughout the game, when in the first half he went for it, it's something that that that's, you know, whether it's him or David Yost, um, those are calls that I am happy to see. It's a bit changed uh, from what we've seen in the past. But besides that, obviously, a win, I'm, I'm going to take it. A win's a win. There are a few things that, that you know, do worry me and something to look forward, to be on the lookout for going forward. Um, but I will start with the positives because – if you're listening to this podcast, you know I'm a Grayson James guy. I'm a Grayson James believer. I'm part of his hive. Name it what you want. That's my guy. I've been waiting to see him get more playing time and finally get the start. Obviously, we're hoping nothing bad to Gunner. I mean, hopefully he's okay. Um, you know, obviously he's in concussion protocol, but I mean, this has got to be Grayson James's team going forward. I mean, he had four touchdowns, led us back in that game. Um, you know, he looked just so comfortable when he finally got in that groove um, after, you know, a little slow start, but that's expected when you're coming off the bench. Um, But he's definitely the guy, I think, going forward. And then, obviously, it it helps when you've got the skill positions that we've got, skill players that we've got. Um, I mean, obviously Tyrese Chambers for Heisman. Um, been saying that he's so good, man. He that connection is going to be special. Mitchell had huge plays, he believed two touchdowns. EJ had the two-point conversion. Flex Joseph had a touchdown. I mean, they were clicking, especially in that second, especially in that really the fourth quarter and overtime. Um, so very excited to see how that group can grow. Um, uh, but besides that, I mean the rest are, are, are probably a bit uh on the negative side, I think the O line was the biggest issue on offense, and I think that's why Gunner just couldn't really get going as much. Um, I, I I thought he was he, he was okay, but I think a big part of it was because of the O line. Um, I, I they they did not perform well, and this is against Bryant. Um, so that does it is something that I hope is addressed going forward. Um, not sure how that's going to happen, but let's see what this team's got. And then de- on the defensive side of things, I mean, the defense made some really big plays. Shout out to Sean Peterson Jr., a uh, huge strip sack. But um, for the most of the game, they were kind of getting torched. Uh, the QB had a lot- few big runs in the second half. The DBs were kind of allowing some big plays. Um, the defense is what scares me and I think was definitely the weakest point um, of this team, on at least in the first game. So... You know, let's see what adjustments are made this week. Uh, let's see what adjustments are, made are going forward. I mean, I think this is a huge win for Mike McIntyre. Um, you know, say what you want. Yeah, I know it's Brian. We should have beaten them by a billion. Uh, I don't care. This team showed a lot of heart to come back and win that game. And you can tell just by the excitement afterwards. Like, this can be a momentum builder, and hopefully they do that. So, um, you know, people called me a, a madman when I said we're going 13-1. to well, who's the Mad Men now, baby? Off to a 1-0 start. And it's going to be 2-0 this week when we take it up to Texas State. Um, and before I kick this off to, to Eric, I wanted to give a quick shout-out to all those fans that showed up to the Thursday opener. I mean, the student section looked packed. Uh, I mean, it, 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 it was a good sight to see. Um, shout-out to Scott Carr and obviously Coach McIntyre and, and everybody for trying to build that Environment and energy, and getting more people out there—that was awesome to see. And hopefully, they continue to tune out to you know all the future home games. So um, that's it for me today. Now I'm going to pass it over to Eric and the rest of our episode. Thank you guys.
1: Pause up. What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of your favorite podcast, favorite podcast. And I'm entitled to say that as I host three podcasts. But for the sake of the, for the point of time being, this is your favorite podcast, favorite podcast. It is the Shula Bowl. Pod brought to you by the fine folks you guys know the drill five reasons sports shout out to Ethan Skolnick we are taping here on Tuesday September 6th which means we are a few days removed from the FAU loss at Ohio and uh, almost about a week removed from the FIU thrilling victory against FCS Bryant I'm flying solo tonight Eric Henry SB Nation but I have a special guest he is one of the First voices that you heard on this podcast. We did a for our hundredth episode, we played some clips here and there of you know all five voices. And this man is making his triumphant return back to the Shulable Pod Airways. Mr. Jake Elman. Jake, what is going on, my man? Eric,
2: I am so glad to be talking to you again, FAU fans. It's good to be talking to you guys again as well. FIU fans, I hope you missed me. <laughs>
1: short and sweet but that is the man himself mr jake elman he is uh now you know he's, i mean jake's situation has changed so much as the last time he's on this pod you know maybe we'll cover some of that in the uh in the later part of the episode but uh for now jake you consider yourself a uh casual observer and what an opinionist on all things fau football i would say so um the the
2: tldr on everything is okay we're in september now back uh Back in April, I said, I think I'm ready to take a break from sports journalism. And now I'm working working in marketing for a tech company. And it's very strange for me after almost a decade of blogging about sports and then covering FAU for a newspaper and covering high school and then working with Endgame 360 for two years, writing about a whole lot of different things. So now where I'm at is... I'm able to sit down on a Saturday and I can just watch college football and I don't have to worry about what am I going to write about on Monday? Or, you know, oh, somebody said this in the pregame show. I feel like I should write about this. And it's gonna be it's the same thing with the NFL too and with baseball that I'm able to sit back and really just take in things as a fan, as an observer. And I think on one of the last times I was on, I said that. I was excited about the 2020 season because for the first time, I would be able to watch an FAU game with people and actually be allowed to cheer for FAU after having covered them as a student and immediately after graduating. So a lot has changed. Some things have stayed the same, but we're two games into the FAU season and I have had a lot of different emotions. Some have been incredibly high. Some have been me yelling at the TV. But it's been a very interesting start to the year. But believe it or not, I'm having fun so far.
1: Listen, Jake, I cannot lie. You won me over when you said you get the luxury of being able to not worry about what you're going to write about on Monday and Tuesday and those ensuing days. But before we bore the folks with our, you know, sports writer chronicles, let's jump into a recap of the last game. Unfortunately, it was a loss for FAU, somewhat but disappointing loss, at least if you ask me. I I felt like this Mm -hmm. was one that uh, you've heard me talk about on this podcast and on, on the Underdog Dynasty podcast as well having an opportunity to build that momentum really kind of build this, you know, I like to call a signature season for Willie Taggart. I, I thought a big thing for it was winning games like this. Unfortunately, it took the loss 41 to 38 to Ohio on the road, a game. I think that, you know, what makes even more disappointing Jake is the fact that they, they went up early in this game kind of dominated the majority of the first half where things got a little bit hairy was, you know, that, that, end of the first half through the third quarter and then the early part of the fourth quarter but they weren't able to you know really sustain that 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 play that they had in the first half and carry it through quick notes here on FAU Nikosi Perry 24 42 for 364 five touchdowns certainly a, a nice performance from him did have uh, a fumble one that I thought was a bit of a phantom fumble I thought his hand was going forward but the the play was never reviewed Larry McCammon had 14 carries for 60 yards a big day from the receivers Jaquan Burton five catches for buck 15 in the score. Jamal Edrin nine for one Oh five and two scores really quickly. Jake, before I pass it off to you, I'll kind of give you, you know, where I thought was a turning point in this game. As I mentioned, I felt that, you know, that third quarter was really the pivotal point. And there are a couple points that I think you can talk about one. Um, there was a play a third and one there about the nine minute mark, Jake, that, you know, Larry McCammon got stopped for again gain of nothing on that third and one, the entire entire interior, of that offensive line, really got eaten up on that and and you know for me momentum is a huge thing in college football when you feel that tide turning that felt like a play that really kind of gave ohio belief that the tide was turning in their direction you got the late hit on 21 that you know it ended up extending ohio drive they ended up cashing that in for seven points and then as i mentioned uh the well we'll do two two other plays one that that fumble uh that, you know, was called a fumble, never reviewed. And then a third and nine call by Brenton Dierman as they're down 27-17. It's a screenplay that goes nowhere and they're forced to punt. Uh so those are kind of you know, the turning points of my game. But Jake, enough about, you know, my opinion. Uh jump into it, man. You know, just give me your thoughts on the game and you know what you kind of uh, what what's your what is your read uh heading into Southeast Louisiana week.
2: See, I'm I'm smiling to myself because I think FAU fans are going to be very amazed at what I'm about to say. I had a ton of fun watching the fourth quarter, even with the final result, because that really was one of the strangest FAU games I've seen since. I mean, I got to FAU in 2015 as a student. So, in those seven or eight seasons, you go from dominating through the first, let's call it the first 20, 25 minutes, and Ohio starts clawing back into it. And Ohio dominated third quarter, and the game got out of hand. I think it went up to 30, 35-17 or 38-17. And then FAU just starts scoring at will. Starts, they keep scoring. Nicosi Perry finally starts hitting all these passes. And you got to the halfway point of the fourth quarter, and I think I probably wasn't alone in thinking, FAU could realistically find a way to win this game or they're going to find a way to break everyone's hearts and they broke everyone's hearts. But at least you could say to yourself, they came back in the fourth quarter, which they didn't do last year. You look back at the Marshall loss. You look back at the middle Tennessee loss. You look back at the old dominion loss, those three losses that potentially, well, you know, those are those games are the differences between going seven and five and five and seven, let alone eight and four and five or seven. and, I could at least walk away from the game and say, okay, at least the offense found its groove late and it didn't end something like 49-17 or 49-20. So that's where I'm at. I was frustrated with Nikosi Perry in the third quarter. I thought the issue that was present last year where it seems like when you get into the second half and the game isn't going his way, that he can't rise to the occasion in a way that you would hope that your veteran starting quarterback can. That problem was there. But again, you go back to the fourth quarter and you say, okay, he hit on some big time throws, the long completion, the burden, uh, a couple of the goal line touchdowns that were perfectly went into the receiver's hands. So I was frustrated But I was also able to say, you know what, this is happening in September. Let's hope that FAU can learn from this and say, okay, the same way the 2017 2017 team did when they lost to Buffalo. They learned from it. They learned from a close loss to a MAC team. They didn't lose again. Can FAU say to themselves as a staff and as a team, okay, the things that went wrong in the third quarter and late in the second quarter, Can we correct those so it doesn't happen when we play Middle Tennessee, when we play FIU, when we play North Texas, et cetera, et cetera?
1: Jake, I'm going to throw a fastball at you, you know, two-part question. I'll go with the first Mm. part because it's probably the more long-winded. Everything you said there makes sense, and and I'm actually inclined to agree with it. However, I feel like if I were an FAU fan, I, I would make the argument of something like this if we beat Ohio and continue the play we had in the first half of the second and win that game, beat Southeast Louisiana, we walk into UCF and then follow that Purdue 3-0 and with really kind of capturing the feeling of, okay, Willie Taggart has really found his stride here at FAU and you feel like you're a little bit closer to the you know, the, the, the years of being a cut above the rest in Conference USA but maybe not right there with those, you know, top group of five and fringe power fives, but a cut them up the rest. And the second part of the question, which I guess really is a continuation of the first, if I were an FAU fan and I said, shouldn't we be past this point? We were past this point in which we're losing to the Mac team and not even the the cream of the crop of the Mac, but a a rising Mac team. What would you say to that?
2: I think all those points are valid. I think something I had to do this past off season, and honestly, in hindsight, I probably should have done it after the 2020 year, even though I hate playing the hindsight game, was I had to take a step back and reassess where this program is in terms of what the expectations should be. Now, my expectations for FAU at this stage in the game is always going to be they should be an 8-win team. Now, with them moving to the American, that could change. But when you look at the talent on the roster, when you look at some of the high-quality coaches that are on staff, your Kevin Patricks, your Brent Deerman's, guys like that, I think that FAU should be well past the idea of, listen, we're going to a bowl game, that's enough. Or we were competitive with a Power 5 team, that's enough. No, we should definitely be past that. With that said, I think reassessing the expectations is important because the 2017 and 2019 teams – were two of the greatest FAU teams in history, if not the greatest. There's some people that still want to argue for 2007. I wasn't around for that. I'm not going to get into that. Now you're at the point where so many of the people that were instrumental in those two conference championship teams are gone. It's not just the players. It's the coaches, too. So when you go through an offseason where you completely overhaul your coaching staff, which I think you had to do, you overhauled your offensive line and your defense, and now you're without Evan Anderson, who didn't play on uh, Saturday. I think I saw he's not going to play on this coming Saturday. You have to be able to say to yourself, how do I resist the urge to compare this team to the 2017 and 2019 teams, even if some of the some of those guys are still there? And it's tough. But you have to do it at some point because – if you keep saying to yourself, well, Willie Taggart's not Lane Kiffin, regardless of how you feel about Lane Kiffin as a person, there's not many coaches that are Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin was not Nick Saban, but he also wasn't some of the previous coaches that had been at FAU and FIU. So my advice to FAU fans would be for now, let's reassess the expectations and let's hope that this team We'll be able to say in the coming weeks, hey, listen, we l- we've learned from what went wrong against Ohio because we don't want to lose against North Texas and, and, uh, and Denton. We don't want to lose to Rice at home. We don't want to lose to what I think is a mediocre Middle Tennessee program when we go there in November.
1: Jake, we're not sure, you know, when the next time we'll have you on. So I'm going to do a little bit of projecting here before we kind of, you know, spin it forward and ask you what you're looking forward to in the Southeast, mm-hmm. Southeastern Louisiana game. 10 games left in this year. We'll quickly run down the schedule. Of course, as I mentioned, Southeast Louisiana, uh, UCF, Purdue, North Texas, Rice, UTEP, UAB, FIU, Shula Bowl, Middle Tennessee, Western Kentucky. I run down those names and I, I, I think, okay, UCF, Purdue UAB I'll mark those as losses even though let's say UAB could be a toss-up although you know they did look very good even without their all-star running back to McBride you know against beat against an FCS team but nevertheless well let's say I'll mark those three as losses and then I'll call either Western Kentucky or North Texas a toss-up personally I'd like to think FAU will win those games we'll win both those games but let's just call them a toss-up mm-hmm. in your mind as you mentioned perennial eight win team you think is kind of the measure for this program is anything short of going seven and three down the stretch again i should be 10 games left if i count that correctly is anything short of going seven and three um a success in your mind
2: it's a tough question because they didn't go to a bowl game last year so on the one hand i think and I would understand, and I do understand when people take the stance of just going to a bowl game as a success. And I think when you're coming off the COVID year and the issues that were, that, from all the positive tests to things not clicking offensively to everything that went wrong last year, I can understand why there are people that would be okay with, okay, let's go to six and six and play in a decent bowl game. For me, I picked FAU before the year to go seven and five. I thought they would lose at Ohio which I was right about. I thought they would lose to UCF, Purdue, Middle Tennessee, because FAU hasn't won there in almost 20 years, and there was a fifth game I had them losing, I think UAV. So I feel like you have to go 7-5 and because, number one, you have to be able to say to yourself, okay, at least we had a winning record, especially in a Conference USA that no longer has Marshall and Old Dominion. You also have to go seven and five, at least in my opinion. You have to win at least seven games total because you have to say to yourself, we're going into the AAC with momentum. You can't be like Charlotte and go into the AAC on that downward stretch. And you also can't go into the AAC the way North Texas is, where you had the success before COVID, but the last few years have been so inconsistent. So I feel like if you could go 7 and 3 down the stretch and whatever happens in the bowl game happens in the bowl game. I If they play a really good Sun Belt or AAC team in the bowl game and they lose does it taint the overall expectations going into the AAC? It shouldn't. But I would be okay with 7 and 5. I would not be I would not be as okay with 6 and 6 because the other thing is I don't want the standard to become that six wins is enough again. And I think when Lane Kiffin got here, after you hadn't made a bowl game in almost 10 years, it was, okay, let's just make a bowl game. And then the expectations shifted so drastically because of how good that first year was that, and this is worthy of it's a whole nother conversation, that FAU's upward trajectory shifts so drastically because of two conference titles in three years. So, for me, bottom line is, I think if you go seven and three down the stretch and you go seven and five, to me, it's a successful year. But I do think the talent is there to get to eight wins. Excuse, excuse me, to go eight and two down the uh No, you know me, Matt. Yes, to go eight and two down the stretch and potentially yeah. finish nine and yes.
1: three. Yeah. Fair yep. Yep. Okay. So now, Jake, again, and for your, those of you just joined us, we are joined by our old buddy, good friend Jake Ellman. Following this, you will hear from Kef Chardello of the Austin American Statesman as we preview FIU and Texas State. But want to leave Jake a little bit of time here to talk about what he's looking forward to in this matchup against Southeastern Louisiana. And, you know, we'll catch up on, on his beings a little bit. You know, Jake is literally half the man he used to be. But let's start with football, Jake. <laughs> um, against Southeastern, Southeastern Louisiana, it's a game that, for all intents and purposes, this should be, you know, um, FAU's cakewalk. Now, with that being said, we have seen a lot of close games from FCS teams this year, mainly because of the COVID year and the fact that those FCS teams, unlike their FBS counterparts, they weren't losing players at the portal. It was just bringing back all of their starters from the previous year for one more go around. With that being said, what are you looking forward to or what are you looking for? for what are you looking for, for? Let's try this again. Let's try English. What are you looking to see from FAU against Southeastern Louisiana?
2: I want to see FAU be aggressive, and I've said this for years about number one, when you're playing an FCS team, and number two, when you're coming off a loss. I want guys to come out like like their head's on fire. I want guys to come out like they have something to prove. And I think there are guys in this team who should be feeling coming into Saturday like I have something to prove. I'm angry that we lost Ohio. I'm angry that I didn't play well. And I think this is one of those opportunities, especially at home. It doesn't have to be a 50 to 3 win. And I think that's something that people don't understand about the FCS games. It doesn't have to be 60 minutes of a blowout, it has to be a game where you walk away feeling like 85 to 90% of things went right. And there's 10% of things that you need to correct, as opposed to a game like the Bethune game in 2018, where FAU scored like the first 35 points, then they won 49-28. So you look at the first 20 minutes of that game, that was probably 95% things went right, 5% things you need to correct. The last 40 minutes, that's a lot closer to 50-50 than it should not have been ironically that game also came before the UCF game so I'm hoping to see FAU come out angry I'm hoping to see Nikosi Perry who I had not realized how good his statistics are through the first two games and I had not realized he still hasn't thrown a pick so I just jinxed him there I'm sorry but I I want to see Nikosi Perry come out and just have a great game to the point where like in the opener, Willie Taggart can feel comfortable in the third quarter or early fourth saying, all right, we've seen enough, even if it's 30, 30 to 10 or 30 to seven, just, I've seen enough to feel confident about how we played tonight.
1: Jake in the uh, three or four minutes left, we've got you here. First off, let the people know where they can find your FAU thoughts if they want to. uh, So partake in and also Jake again, we talked about this a little bit off here. Congrats, man. You know, you've, you know, kind of changed yourself overall for the being. So I, I will let you kind of elaborate as much as you'd like about that personal change and again where they can find your work online.
2: So I'm still on Twitter at Jake Alman97. I'm not tweeting a hundred times a day the way I used to. I might a couple times a day, but I'm still there. So say hi. Um as for what we talk about off air, if you have not been following me on Twitter or Instagram, which is Jake Alman, which is my name, um, I lost, I have lost uh, over 50 pounds since um, early April. Um, I'm going to try not to get emotional because I, I've found myself getting emotional lately, but for a long time I was in denial about aspects of my weight. And when we when I was doing the Shulable pod full time in twenty nineteen, I was in the two forty range. Like I think when we were at that year's Shulable, and we went out after I was probably two forty ish because um I went to the doctor in uh January of twenty twenty. I had some mental health stuff going on that was affecting me physically, and I was about 247. So when COVID hit, and I I didn't keep a scale in my house, in my apartment until this past May, when I was a few weeks into my diet. I want to say when COVID hit, I was probably down to like 230-ish, 230, 235, and then lockdown hit. So it's like, you know, you're doing Uber Eats, and you're having all this junk food. And I saw a picture of myself today from two years ago today, September 2020 and it looks like completely just like this monster like I was so heavy in my face and I was in denial for so long so flash forward to February of this year and I just felt so disgusting after the Super Bowl I had so many wings and I was setting you know I was always walking in the morning but you you walk in the morning and then you have whatever you have for breakfast then I work from home, so I'd have a sandwich most days for lunch. And you have a big dinner and that walking didn't mean anything. So I started walking more and trying to watch what I ate. And then my close friend Dr. Reardon ran FAU Sport MBA program. He passed away. He died of a heart attack. He was 60. And then I went up to New York and I didn't like how I looked in the picture. So it was it was the combination of me not liking how I looked, the The grief of Dr. Reardon dying when he did so young of a heart attack. And, you know, last time I was with him, he had gained a little weight. And, look, I'm 25, so I wasn't wasn't necessarily at risk yet. But I said to myself, I want to change. So I got down below 200 um, at the end of July. Right now, I'm right around 188. So I'm hoping to... Keep going. I don't have a set number in mind. So I just don't want to be over 200 again. If I could be 175 and have a little bit of a beer gut, I'm good with that. Just, you know, I'm, I'm happy with how far I've come. And if you're listening out there and the last couple years you've felt like you'd need to change something with your diet, you can do it you you can do it I don't know if what I did which was portion control and cutting out junk food I don't know if that's for everybody but you can do it that's all that, that's
1: all I have to say on that you can do it definitely want to make sure to leave time in for that Jake you are you know you are one of my guys one of the the first people you know when I jumped on the FIU beat to you know really chop up with me and I was we had the pleasure of working together and Hopefully we can catch up sooner, you know, uh, whether it's at a Shula Bowl or somewhere in South Florida. And, uh, again, COVID hit all of us hard, so I definitely want to leave time for you to tell that story. But we're going to end on a positive note. So, Jake, my man, appreciate you having me on. It's been a pleasure hearing your voice back on the pod as always. And, uh, you know, uh, what's time? 726, we're up against the clock here. But, Jake, I can't thank you enough, my man. We will catch up off here and, uh, you know again we, we don't don't be a stranger we got to make this again a, a reunion with david's back in uh in, in tow oh for sure absolutely there it is jake ellman breaking down all things fau all right want to thank jake Elman for all things fau helping us out with of course our former co-host Shane marinelli his departure or i guess i should say his graduation to the fau coaching staff getting that uh director of high school relations role so we've been rotating fau guests and jake is the third fau voice that you have heard from this season of course you'll hear from zach weinberger of the palm beach post and of course kevin fielder of owls 247 but we're going to transition into the fiu side of things again flying solo here you'll hear from david as we uh you know bring you in uh, behind the curtain here i'll send this this episode off to him He'll edit it and splice himself in. But as far as the live taping of this, I am flying solo. Gonna, so going to quickly run down the thrilling 38-37 win over FCS Bryant on Thursday night. You know, really, uh, I think my major takeaways were the fact that, A, the new day that new athletic director Scott Carr and first-year head coach Mike McIntyre preached, that really showed in terms of the crowd. You know, this was the biggest crowd. I think I mentioned this on Twitter post-game. The biggest crowd that I have seen, uh, home game, home crowd uh, that I've seen in, in my now going on five years of covering the team. I mean, I haven't seen a crowd this large since the 2018 Shula Bowl, and the majority of that was made up by students. I think I saw something uh, on Twitter produced by the school that over 4,000 students showed up. So that was encouraging. The second note, yes, FIU, as we know, did go down 16-0, went down two scores to an FCS program in Bryant, one that— albeit it was returning a, a ton of stars from last year's team, but still an FCS team. But well, I think the biggest difference between this year's team and probably what you may have seen over the past two years was the fact that this team didn't quit. And I, I think that's surprising, or, or you, you could be surprised by that considering the fact that the last two years were a more veteran bunch who, you know, probably were dealing with all of the cloud of, of the things that Butch Davis talked about. Uh, you know, the, in terms of the fresh start, you know, they were able to get things going in the second half. And a big part of that was, Quarterback Grayson James, that is the third thing I will spotlight in the 38-37 win with Gunnar Holmberg, who was knocked out with a concussion. Mike McIntyre held his weekly presser uh, today, as a matter of fact, earlier today, and he did not announce a starter. He did say that Gunnar Holmberg is still in the concussion protocol, but Grayson James was the given quarterback to us for uh, the media session, so we'll have to keep an eye on that. Looks like it's going to be a game-time decision there in San Marcos, but Grayson his first real extended action as a Panther after being a highly touted three-star recruit from the Dallas-Fort Worth area. You take a look at his numbers here. He's able to, you know, really kind of get the offense going after a bit of a sluggish start. Gunner went 14 to 20 for a buck three and one touchdown. Grayson, after going one of six to start, you know, went 15 of 25 here for 207 and four touchdowns, including the overtime uh, touchdown pass to. Star receiver Tyrese Chambers that made it 3637. And then of course Mike McIntyre chose to go for two in the win. And that was hauled in by EJ Wilson. So just a you know quick and dirty recap, but we really want to transition into the game preview, with us being now what, four or five days removed from the Bryant victory. That one has been covered into the ground. And I decided to, you know, tap into the uh, the old Shula Bull Pod bullpen, decide to bring back a, a returning guest, one of my favorite guys I, I had the pleasure of talking with last year. He is the Texas State beat writer for the Austin awesome American statesman, Mr. Kef Chardello. Kef, how are you doing tonight, my man? Eric, thanks for having me on. This
3: is great. I, I feel like I watched the FIU Bryant game after that great recap. So good stuff there. <laughs> I appreciate that.
1: I appreciate it, man. I'm Zelta. You know, uh, listen, as you know, as someone who who is in this uh, sports journalism thing, it, it's not easy to uh, broil down four hours and 11 minutes to about 170 something seconds so decided to just you know play the hits there but again can't thank you enough for jumping on and uh the you know quick note here i will say this before we jump into texas state uh kef's name is one that if, if you look at it on paper you kind of overthink it and then he gave it to me the first time last year. I'm like all right it's actually pretty straightforward so i'm glad i nailed it on the first try this time but uh but kef um mm-hmm. really want to start it. exactly exactly thank you man I <laughs> um, really want to want to start with this Texas State team here. You know, it's a game that if you look at their season opener against Nevada, they, they were in it 14-7 at halftime. And then things seemingly went off the rails for Jake Spavita's bunch. Just kind of, if you can give us, you know, your, your thoughts on what happened in Nevada before we transition to this week's contest when the Panthers come to town. Yeah, you said it. It was a
3: close game at, at halftime, fourteen to seven. And then in the third quarter, specifically three consecutive series, it was turnovers that led to scores for Nevada and just completely put the game out of out of reach for the Bobcats. One of those three turnovers was a pick six. So I mean that was that was a pretty devastating blow. Nevada has a really good player named Bentley Sanders, who who had two interceptions, one was a pick six, and then one when stripped you know, a fumble recovery that also led to, a, that actually led to a field goal, but they had one player specifically who just completely flipped the game on its head. Um Yeah. That, that game, it, it really fell apart for the Bobcats in the third quarter. And, and speaking to Jake Spavadol today, uh, he was, he was really harping on, on toughness and physicality. Uh It really was, was saying that at the line of scrimmages where the Bobcats got beaten, which was surprising to many, because they brought in a lot of transfers that's been kind of noted quite a bit with this Texas State team is they've, they've lived and died in the transfer portal as far as recruiting, and they really increased the profile of the offensive line, got a bunch of big guys who just got absolutely bullied on Saturday by Nevada, um, which was which was a big head scratcher, I know, for, for the offense because that was supposed to be something that's been a problem, Uh, For Texas State, honestly, for a long time, even preceding Spavadol, but definitely during his entire tenure, the offensive line has just not been big enough and physical enough, and they still weren't on Saturday. Um, You know, Spavadol said there might be some personnel changes. He didn't specifically say on the offensive line or really any position, but he did hint that there's going to be a lot more personnel changes going around to try and combat that uh, but penalties was also another big issue for the Bobcats. They had ten of them. Um that's been another lingering issue in Spadol. He's in his fourth year now. Uh his best year was last year where he got to four wins. So it's been it's been a tough go for Spadol and, and turnovers and penalties have been a big reason why. And and here we are with it again. Um they did get another late touchdown, but it was and it was when the game was was well out of reach in the fourth quarter. So it was it was almost 38 to 7 at the end of that game after being favored by a point and a half going into that game and then they go out and do that it, it was it was pretty lackluster and they definitely seemed to realize that today at the press conference um, we got to speak to coach Favotall offensive lineman Kyle Hergo and middle linebacker Sony Tupo. and it, there was a lot of disappointment saying they're humbled looking at themselves in the mirror all of those clichés about wanting to, to turn it around um, and so that's 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 where that's where they're sitting this week it's it's pretty disappointed but you know home opener playing the team that they beat last year in an overtime game so I think the, the spirits are are down um, but but they're uh, looking for a big game on
1: Saturday. You can find that game on Saturday. Of course, it is a 6 p.m. start Central, 7 p.m. start Eastern. That game is going to be on ESPN Plus. Here's the crew: Brant Freeman, Keith Moreland, Coral Riggs on the television side of things. If you happen to be in the Texas area and you're an FIU fan, you can find it on KTSW 88.9, 89.9. Excuse me, Clint Shields and Jeff Gandy. And of course, if you're in South Florida, AJ Ricketts and Corey Brooks will be on the call. WQAB 1140. I will be on the pregame at 6:30 joining AJ and Corey. And of course, if you just us, we just join us we're joined by Mr. Kef Chardello of the Austin American Statesman. Uh also need to shout out his podcast, the Win Now or Get Bent podcast. Make sure you find that on Twitter at Win Now or Get Bent. Kef, uh want to go right into the quarterback situation for Texas State. It is Lane Hatcher and that is a name that FIU fans should be very familiar with. If you're not, you're either a new FIU fan or you've forgotten one of the more memorable games in FIU history, that being the 2019 Camellia Bowl Lane Hatcher threw for, I believe it was 387 yards and four touchdowns, but he was then a member of the Arkansas State Red Wolves in the victory over FIU the last time the Panthers went bowling. Just talk about that quarterback competition over the offseason a little bit and you know what you've seen so far from Lane Hatcher.
3: Yeah, you know, Lane, I I, t- I just talked about Stavadol saying there would be some position changes. That was the one position that won't change. He was pretty adamant. Lane Hatcher is, is under center. Um, yeah, that, that competition in the offseason, it, it, it kind of, it, from the jump, I felt like Hatcher was going to win it out. You know, there's always that, that posturing about competition. Um, you know, you got to give the other guys a chance. But, I mean, Lane Hatcher, when he came here in January, a guy with that much experience, you just said it, he's won bowl games, um, started 16 games at Arkansas State, played in 32 total. He's He's got a lot of experience under his belt. He wouldn't come here and not expect to play. But he beat out Ty Evans, who was a, a North Carolina State transfer. It's actually his second year in Texas State, but he didn't play his first year. Uh, actually, he played a couple plays, but didn't throw a pass. Um, that was a that was whole battle between Brady McBride and Tyler Vitt, two guys who are now gone. So, it's the first time in a while, it's a brand new quarterback coming in who hasn't started for the Bobcats or played for the Bobcats starting a game. Because for a few years it was Tyler Vit, McBride, and then Vitt, and um, uh, Gresh Jensen and other guys who had who had been here. Um, but yeah, at that game that was it was it was pretty surprising how bad it was for Hatcher. And if you watch that game, it's it's pretty obvious that blocking is is was the biggest issue for him. I mean, he just, he never had time anytime. Uh, a lot of his passes were to slot receivers just because he didn't have enough time to let those out wide guys develop their route. He just kept checking down to Ashton Hawkins and Toe Groves. That's why you see them have a, a whole bunch of, of catches and even they, they threw it way more than they usually do. Even though all is touted as an air raid guy, he really doesn't, he balances it out pretty well with the run pass or at least that's his initial plan, depending on how the game goes, off to abandon it. and this was one of those games where he had to abandon the run. 25 attempts, negative 12 yards total rushing in that game. Um, four sacks for 43 yards factored into that, but still it was just they couldn't get anything going in the run game um, because of, because of the blocking. It, it really affected the entire offense and I, that stopped Hatcher from getting going before he could even get started. Was just a uh, constant pressure that whole game. Um, and so, I mean, I, I think if, if that's one thing the Panthers are going to look to do to, to, to beat the Bobcats and take them on similarly the way Nevada did, it's that pass rush. That's where they're going to have to really go get them. That's, that seems to be the Texas State's weak spot right now.
1: Kev, before I jump into some specifics, do want to ask you about a handful of players, again, that Panther fans should know, because, of course, as we talked about, these two teams did play last year at FIU Stadium. Texas State came back. Uh, I believe, it, yeah, won that game in overtime. There we go. Memory serves me correct. Came back from, I uh, believe, about a score down, Ended up winning 23 to 17. Two players on this roster played a, a really significant factor in terms of Calvin Hill. You know, he uh, led that game with 14 carries of 72 yards. And then Marcel Barbie was the leading receiver in that game overall. Eight catches for 67 yards. Just talk about those two guys coming back and what they present offensively. Of course, two kind of, you know, stalwarts for Texas State. And also we'll throw in Javen Banks as well, another guy who Mike McIntyre referenced by name as someone that they'll need to account for.
3: Yeah, you know, all all three of those players couldn't get it going against Nevada. Uh, I, I don't think that was either of their doings as well i don't mean to keep blaming the old line but it really was a big reason why the offense couldn't get started um but but calvin hill that, that first drive for texas state he was looking really good picked up some good chunks of yards he was the one positive going for them as far as yards gained, but they just completely abandoned the run game uh, about you know halfway through the second quarter it seemed like and so he, he really just couldn't get it going but that's a guy who's, who's pretty talented and special Right behind him is Jamal Jeter, Oklahoma State transfer at running back. He's like, he's probably the thunder to Calvin Hill's lightning. Um, at least that's what they try to use him for. And then the third guy is kind of a wild card with Lincoln Perry, who's also Arkansas State transfer. He was actually their their leading rusher last year. Um, so they've got three really good backs, but they didn't, they didn't utilize them last week, but they, they have them. And I've seen, seen when talking about it all today, they're going to, they're going to try to lean on that a little bit more. But the receivers, you know, you just mentioned Marcel Barbie and Jeff Banks. Barbie actually left right before halftime with an injury. We even had his shoulder pads off in the second half, but he is back at practice this week and will play. It's a really good player. Two years ago, he had 10, a 10 touchdown season, um, did pretty well last year as well. Uh, he, he's a he's a good 50/50 ball type guy, you know, really really useful in the red zone. But then Javin Banks, I think he had a couple catches. I don't have his stats in front of me right now, but not not too much going for him either. Again, those out wide, those guys out wide, none of them really. Oh, uh, well, even Spavidal was saying it was a combo of the blocking, but then they also weren't getting open. But I think when you don't have enough time. To get open, they have more, uh, um, complex routes on the, on, at the flanker position. Um, that goes into it. But, you know, if they get better blocking this week, those, those are two pretty big weapons for them. Um, they even have a, a, a guy that, that played his first game as a bobcat and he transferred in from South Florida, kind of in your area to Marcus Gregory. They give him number five, gave him that single digit. He's a pretty big receiver as well that they've been trying to pepper in there a little bit. Um, but their big weapon last week was Ashton Hawkins. he's a, a Juco guy. His first year was last year. He's kind of just returning some kicks, had a few catches here and there last season. But then this year, another guy they gave a single digit, which is as many people know, it's a, 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 a big honor for college teams. and they uh they were touting him all off season, and then he comes out ten catches, ninety six yards, two touchdowns in that game. He was probably the one true positive seeing that, that him run those routes and get that offense going in that slot position. So they have receivers. Um, They just, they weren't able to utilize them last week. And, uh, but, but they are very, very deep at receiver and running back. They They don't seem to use their tight ends much, if at all. I don't think a tight end had a catch at all last week and not many had catches last season. So they don't, they don't really, they don't really use the tight end in the pass game as much as I'm sure they would like. Um, but they've got a, they've got a lot of receivers, pretty pretty deep at that
1: position. Kef, well, before we get again into kind of some specific matchups here, and uh, you know, really kind of take a, a as far as a preview as what may play a factor in this game, do want to ask you if uh, Jake Spavita, Excuse me, I'll almost had had <laughs> a throwback to a former coach. If Jake Spavita there, um, if he spoke about any FIU players' in specificity, and if he did. Did he happen to mention his thoughts on, of course, the most dynamic playmaker for FIU, that being number zero receiver Tyrese Chambers?
3: That's exactly who he who he talked about. Uh, he said he's he's a weapon for for the Panthers is exactly the, the phrasing he used about Chambers. Yeah, that that's somebody that they uh they have their eye on, no doubt about it. And of course they've got their eye on the quarterback situation. He even kind of said a little bit of what you said today with it might be a game time decision between Gunner and and, and Grayson um but yeah Chambers yeah, yeah that's 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 the that was the one one name you know he didn't say too many names but but that was one that they specifically talked about that they're going to key on and you know the Bobcats they they're pretty deep in the front seven pretty thin in the back end though um, they don't, they, uh, Zion Childress was, was one of their better players last season at that safety position. He was one of the, a transfer portal guy who, who ended up going to Kentucky. Um, so they, they're, they're still figuring that out, moving, moving parts around and, and, and doing some of that. Um, they do have Jaron Morris back though, who is a, a former second team, all sunbelt player, a really good corner that they're not playing at nickel back. I could imagine they'll we'll see a little bit of Morris on Chambers and you're gonna have to they're gonna have to double team him. I mean he's he's a pretty good player. Maybe
1: not every play, but if you get some single coverage with Chambers you're you're making a pretty big mistake. No doubt about that. Because one guy would be happy to hear his name, and this Mister Tyrese Chambers himself, he does not shy away from being the number one target for FIU. Of course, we'll hear from hear from him later on this week. All right, Kev, I uh, do want to transition. Ask you this: You know, one thing that was a struggle for FIU in terms of the Bryant game, and anyone knows that David Yost offense, they're looking to run a lot of plays. I think I saw a stat. Forgive me, I can't attribute it. I, I don't remember exactly where I saw it on Twitter, but it said that you know, per um, per time of possession, you can do that in relation the amount of plays that was run FIU had the fastest offense in all of college football last year. Now, with the, excuse me, last year, last week. Now, with that being said, time of possession still was 21 minutes. And you look at the offensive numbers, uh, this is a game that if you just were looking at the box score, FIU lost, they, they, they lost in total yards, lost in rushing yards, lost in passing yards. However, again, you know it was the fifteen penalties for Bryant that really made the difference as far as marching down the field. So, with that, Kef, here's the question: um, FIU undoubtedly will look to get the run game going again. Who are going to be some of the key factors for Texas State? who are really going to have to, you know, play a factor as far as making sure that the Panthers are not able to get going as far as the run game in on in Saturday's matchup. Yeah, uh, you know, and and
3: one thing with with some of these offenses that that. Really focused on getting a high level of plays a lot at time. happens what you just said where time of possession is lower and, and sometimes more isn't necessarily the most efficient. Um, but that being said, they still got the win and they were, they were looking, looking to move fast and they accomplished it. You know, I've, I've seen coach McIntyre, of, you know, Texas state played Mc, McIntyre when he's at San Jose state and also when he's at Colorado. So this is third time, um, just with a third different school. Um, so i have seen a little bit of that, but yeah, for as far as stopping the run, Texas state went out in the, in the transfer portal. They brought in 29 transfers this season, 32 total recruits signed. And only three of them were high school guys. The rest of the other 29 transfers and six of those transfers are on the D line. All of them from FBS schools. They got uh, Nelson Banasor from Texas tech, Levi Bell from Louisiana tech, who was actually a, a 10 tackles, three for a loss and sack last week. Um, they got Myron Warren from Texas uh Kawan Robinson from Memphis they go in, they went out and got a lot of defensive linemen specifically cuz they weren't that great against the run and definitely not great at pass rush last season that looked pretty good last week i mean you know they let loose some some touchdowns but a lot of that was the offense giving Nevada plus, uh, at the plus 44 yard line average for the whole game i mean they were on they were on in their own territory the whole game because of the turnovers from the offense. So it was, um, it was pretty hard for the defense to, to keep them out of the end zone, but they were looking strong against gets in the team that loves to run, run heavy, run heavy offense that really didn't run all over the Bobcats. So that'll be, that'll be a tough go because the, the, the front seven, like I was saying earlier, that's the strong part the, the back end is, is more thin um, for the Bobcats. I think like we were just talking about Chambers, I think that Chambers matchup is, is going to be a pretty tough one for the Bobcats, but they hang in there with the run, that that the tough front seven that, uh, and even the linebackers, Sione Tupo, London Harris, they've been there for a while. As as many transient guys and new guys as there are at that middle linebacker spot and at an outside linebacker, they've been there. And they've been in and Zach Spavadol, the defensive coordinator. They've been in his system for for a while now. So, um, that's, that's probably the one, one strong suit.
1: All right, Kev, before we get you out of here, regular listeners of this pod know we like to end on, on a fun note. This is a question that I've actually thrown out when we had all the conference USA head coaches on our, uh, underdog dynasty podcast, and we had a little fun with it. So I'm gonna throw it out to you, Kev. I, I need to know. Top five, you know, artists, in, in, in no particular order, but I just need to know. In, in your listening playlist, like, what is is Kev car- Kev Chardell listening to in his car before a game? What, what are the top five artists that, that he's listened to to get him right? Oh man, you know, I was just listening to the new DJ Khaled album. I
3: don't know if you've heard that.
1: Uh, I have. Yeah, it's pretty,
3: it's pretty good. You know, some good songs. There's some misses, but there's some hits. I, I like that party one. It's a good one. Uh, yeah. So I, I've been I've been listening to that. You know, new music I've been I've been lacking on it pretty good. Um but as far as what I what I would have in there, I would say uh you know, you gotta get it right before a game. So you, know, you gotta get some Rick Ross in there. Okay. Um ah, man, who else would I do? You know, I'd say Kanye, but he's a little controversial these days. I'll <laughs> still listen to him. I, I still listen to him quite a bit though, but you know, it can, can be on the sense with however he is. Um, you know, you got to switch it up a little bit of country in Texas. George Strait, the Texas State grads. So he's kind of okay. like royalty here. Switch okay. it up switch to a little bit of that. Uh, let's see. I wonder if I listed four.
1: Yeah, four. Yeah, oh, you got one it. more.
3: <laughs> I wasn't counting along. Oh, oh man. Um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, throw in a. Uh, I don't know. You know, I can't really even think of a fifth one right now. <laughs> hey, you oh, know that is all oh, awesome. you wanna know what it is? I am too busy listening to podcasts these days. I really like I it's as weird especially this time of year, I'm just uh trying to get as informed as possible. So I've been I've been soaking in a lot of that, but music music can be too distracting when I'm trying to think about football. <laughs>
1: You won me over with that last answer because you're right. This time of year, we, we, I try to tell people all the time, like, you know, people who don't work in sports, why we try to get so far removed from sports when it's not you know, necessarily like the heart of football season, because you're so locked in, in the moment. So yes, I can completely understand that answer. I will leave you with this. Um, I think the best answer we got from a conference USA head coach is when we asked Willie Taggart this question, he launched right into a a, a mystical lyric. He said, "The man right chair. you know, that's a little throwback mystical." He said is his, his go to. So uh, definitely <sighs> you know, a bit of a, a bit of a fun answer amongst and and a lot of uh, a lot of varieties you'd imagine among amongst the uh, CUSA head coaches. But Kef, I cannot, oh yeah, exactly, exactly, no doubt uh can can you know, think you oh, go ahead, Matt, don't don't, don't google mystical right now he's, he's yeah. kind of in trouble. <laughs> yeah i i well here's okay you know what i'm actually glad you threw that last part in there the 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 way we phrased that question to coach taggart was uh, and, and to all the coaches was what were you listening to in your college years so we, we, oh, we, let's yeah. let's let, let, let's give let's give coach taggart that out that uh yeah if you google mystical it's not the uh the best of uh of headlines <laughs> but yeah you know, with with, with um, that, oh, go ahead, Kev. Go ahead, Kev. Sorry about that. Yeah. Oh, you know,
3: real quick before before you do your 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 exit, I, I wanted to throw this out there. I meant to pepper this in. Grayson yeah. James, um, he was heavily recruited by Texas State, and and actually, you know, he's from Duncanville. Really right. good player at Duncanville. I, I watched him play live. Um, they were they were trying to get him at some point, and then I think once Hatcher got here, they cooled off on James. And that opened the door for, for FIU. No, I don't think it was Hatcher because it was two years ago. Yeah. And somebody else. Um, I think it was a different quarterback. Um, but yeah, but they were they, I pretty sure he did a visit here and everything. So kind of some interesting sliding doors with that. If he, if he does end up getting the start this Saturday, uh, might be some, some what if for Savidal, especially if James can get that win.
1: It is definitely an interesting storyline. Grayson talked about it in his media availability. He didn't mention his recruitment, but he did mention uh, knowing a lot of guys on that roster and even just, you know, people from high school who, you know, aren't athletes who go to Texas State. So he did talk about that. But again, cannot thank my man Kef Chardello enough for hopping on with us. You can find him on Twitter at Kef, K E F F underscore C. You can find his work at statesman.com. That is the Austin American Statesman. And last but not least, the win now or get bent podcast kef really appreciate you jumping on and uh, i'll get a chance to you know finally after two years meet you in person out there at bobcat stadium on saturday night hey i'm looking forward to it if you need someone to get some lunch with or something hit me up man you got you got me most definitely Kev. appreciate you making the time my man thanks thanks thanks